Oh me, oh my, Kristen. Oh? Yes. It's not what ho, it's David? currently not. Okay. It is currently, I'm padding the runtime for this intro. You don't need to. Since we padded the runtime at the beginning of the episode and then ended up going over an hour. <laughs> we had a lot to say. Who knew? Who knew indeed. <laughs> So we want to let everybody know there's going to be some bonus content coming this week. That's right. It's going to be in the regular feed. And it is something that we recorded so many months ago. It is probably my favorite bonus content type. We had like three types to do. It's probably my favorite one to record. I love this genre of Ah, bonus content. That's fun. That's going to be in the regular feed though, not the Patreon. It will be kicking off spooky season. It will be. And because it's bonus content, it has nothing to do with the X-Files. Not even a little. But, you know, if you want to listen, please do. And if you don't want to listen, then we'll be on our regularly scheduled program every Wednesday. Yes. And it's going to be on the regular feed because we cannot commit to doing Patreon right now. No. There is a lot going on in the world. (laughs) There is a lot going on in our lives. Yes. I cut my own hair this weekend. He did. And now I have to recut my hair every day to try to fix what I did this weekend. He does. So, can't do Patreon. The mess of hair is on the Twitter feed. On your Twitter feed? Yeah, it's on my Twitter. And I swear, every day, there's more and more hair. Just more hair. You know what? Does anybody have a couch I can sleep on? (laughs) (laughs) There's too much hair. I can probably make a couch with all the hair that I cut off. Hair monster. You need to make, you need to knit little hats for the cats. Hats for cats? Yep. I'll get right on that. Great. Speaking of monsters. Yes. You mentioned in this episode, you tell a story of a phantom that you saw. Yes. So that reminded me that there was a sound clip that I pulled when I was editing Space, I think. I think so. And I put it on the Patreon, but I'm going to put it in this episode right now. And you guys can email us or tweet us and tell us what this is. It's a phantom. Listen. Okay, did you hear that? All right, one more time. Listen to this again. Okay, what the hell? I told you. You made fun of me in this episode about the phantom that I saw, and then you remembered that you also have a phantom. A digital phantom. Look, it's a phantom that's hip with the times. I'm also hip with the times. No, you're not. Look at your hair. Yeah, it's awesome. It's not awesome. (laughs) It's... It's a mess. And now we're going to go fix it some more. Yeah. All right. Enjoy the episode. Greetings, listeners. Domestic, international, and extraterrestrial. I'm padding the runtime. And I'm Dave Reed. Dave Reed, have you thought about the wet skeleton inside your body? (laughs) I'm sorry, are you trying to say that there is a skeleton inside my body? That is terrifying. Not just any skeleton, a wet skeleton. Wet bones? (laughs) Oh, we were talking about the TV show Bones yesterday, so now when I say wet bones... Now you just see her. Okay, and I'm Kristen Riley, (laughs) and this is The Cast Files. I'm a nerd who has somehow never seen The X-Files. And I watched it when it originally aired. 
The Cast Files is a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of The X-Files, spoiler-free, even when the episodes are terrible. <laughs> Today we are, unfortunately, <laughs> discussing Season 1, Episode 22, Born Again. It originally aired April 29th, 1994, to a viewership of 13.7 million people. That is so much. That's a lot. I wonder what next week. I think that might be the most that they've had. Hang on. I'm going to look that up. Yeah, it barely beat out last week. It's the highest rated episode so far of the season. Yikes. Oh, highest yeah, well, rated or highest viewed? Viewed. Okay. Like, I meant like, like ratings. Okay. TV ratings. Oh, I see. Yeah. Got it. It was written by Howard Gordon and Alex Ganza, directed by Gerald Freeman, his second. All right. IMDb says... That this episode is about an eight-year-old girl who is the prime suspect in a series of bizarre, seemingly unrelated deaths. What? No, yeah. they're not seemingly unrelated. No, they're they're incredi- very related. They're incredibly related. <laughs> like immediately. They're so related. There's a picture of all of the people who are murdered together. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. This cast includes Brian Markinson, aka Tony Fiore. He was Jerome's friend. In Live Nude Girls. Oh, wow. Okay. That was his credit. Yeah. He was also the voice of Obscene Caller in (laughs) a little something called Mixed Nuts. Oh, that sounds like a good one. Wait, I think that's a Steve Martin movie. I don't know. I didn't look any more into it. Mimi Lieber, a.k.a. Anita Fiore. She was labeled derogatory term for sex worker in Killer's Delight. She was also... The NOW representative in Breast Men, wow. a TV movie. The the cast is on a roll here. Maggie Wheeler is Detective Sharon Lazard. She was in Forgotten Realms, colon, Icewind Dale, dash, Heart of Winter. Yeah, nice. <laughs> she was also in a little something you may remember called The Dog Lover in the Oversharer, colon, Hemorrhoids, comma, STDs, and Peanut Butter. Wow, no. (laughs) You don't remember her in that one? No, thanks. She's also Janice from Friends. Fine. (laughs) Day Young, a.k.a. Judy Bishop, Rock and Roll High School. Yeah, not Rock and Roll High School forever. Nope. And Mommy's Deadly Con Artist. Mommy's Deadly Con, okay. So now I think we know where the husband or the ex-husband is. <laughs> oh, mm, okay. Andrea Libman, a.k.a. Michelle Bishop. She is Pinkie Pie and Fluttershy in My Little Pony, colon, Equestria Girls, dash, Rainbow Rocks Animated. <laughs> Can you see that I was looking for the longest titles? Yeah, did a good job. <laughs> All right, before we get into this, how did you feel about it? Uh, I'm not going to think about it ever again as soon as we are done recording this. Yeah, this it one wasn't... Was boring. It was. And just a rehash of Shadows. Right. Which was already not a very good episode. No. Why would you redo a not very good episode in the same season? I don't know. When they redid Ice to do Darkness Falls, that was good because yeah. Ice was good. <laughs> you remake a good episode, you get a good episode. Right. I would have taken three of those. Yeah. Three creature features <laughs> over, or a tombs expansion. Tombs revisited. Tombs has a kid or something. Tombs Jr. 
<laughs> right? Is Tombs the only monster like that in the entire world? Or whatever he is? Apparently. In the whole world? I mean... There's probably one in like one county over, but because they don't talk to each other, <laughs> nobody has any idea. There's, <laughs> there's one in every state. <laughs> there's one in every county. They're all on different timetables. So there's just constantly liver missing murders going on. <laughs> oh, man. I just figured it out. <laughs> you figured what out? Tombs is a land killer whale. A land killer whale? Yes. I didn't know whales could stretch like that. They eat livers. They extract only the livers out of certain animals. Oh, all right. That's a bit of a connection, I guess. It's as much of a connection as anything that comes up in this episode. Oh. So, you know what? Case solved. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. so we start off in the 14th Precinct House, Buffalo, New York. We have the longest opening shot with no monster. Interesting. Okay. Did you notice? Mm, well, is she the monster, though? The little girl? Well, I mean, I guess. Yeah. But the opening shot is we see, like, a street view, and then we see some homeless people, and then we see down the other street, and then we see a car driving up, and then we see some dudes, and everything they do before they get out of the car, and then as they get out of the car, and then they go into the precinct. It's the longest opening sequence that gives us nothing. Makes sense. Okay. I'm caught up now. They were also padding the runtime, <laughs> is what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, wow. So the two detectives who get out of the car go inside the precinct and we open with what ho and a lot of sexism. What ho? That's what they said. Those were the first two oh. sentences said in this whole episode. Ah, uh, man, I glossed right over that. He said what ho and she said what ho back. Oh. And then he said a bunch of sexist garbage. Yeah. And I wasn't sad when he died in a minute. And I'm still not sad. <laughs> not even with a little reflection. Detective Lazard leaves the precinct. She wraps up her day and heads out. She sees a little girl in the trash. Because <laughs> that's where she's sitting. Well, it's unfortunate, but every once in a while, perfectly good little girls get thrown away. Oh, I would have watched that episode. <laughs> Especially if it was on Lifetime. <laughs> Not without throwing away my daughter. <laughs> yes. Two. <laughs> the revenge. <laughs> She approaches the little girl and asks if the little girl is lost. The girl nods, and Lazard takes her back inside the precinct. She fills in Detective Barbala, who was the what-ho sexism guy, and the misogynist from a few seconds ago. So, you know, she picks the greatest person to interrogate this little girl. Lazard gets Detective Barbala to interrogate the little girl in a criminal room. I don't know what cop house geography is, so I'm just calling it a criminal room. Criminal. <laughs> I think interrogation room is... <laughs> The accepted nomenclature. You say interrogation room, I say I don't know cop house geography. <laughs> anyway, Detective Barbala calls the girl sweetheart and she throws him out the window. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote down my exact quote from the first viewing because they focus on him and they linger like uh -huh. on his face. And I said out loud and then wrote down, is his head going to explode? What? <laughs> She didn't appreciate all of this misogyny. <laughs> he falls a few stories and lands dead on a cop car. Hashtag feminism. <laughs> <laughs> that is the most fun I've had with this episode. <laughs> it's all downhill from here. 
Uh, Detective Lazard, who was leaving before she brought the girl in, has decided to stay in the precinct and talk to some random cop. She's the only one who rushes back into the criminal room and sees Detective Barbala out the window. She turns around to look at Michelle, who is dead-eyed and staring blankly back at her. Must be an (laughs) X-File. Must be. We get to the next scene, and uh, we see outside the station house, news crews and police cars surround the scene. Inside the police station, Lazard talks with Mulder and Scully. Mulder asks Lazard how she heard of the FBI. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure that's what he was asking. (laughs) Apparently her cop brother told her they exist. (laughs) They're like us, but national. (laughs) He also mentioned tombs. They, they caught a stretchy boy once. <laughs> yep. And then escalated him to death. <laughs> Ooh. That escalated quickly. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It jumped up a notch. It did, didn't it? Yeah, I stabbed a man in the heart. No. <laughs> Apparently I had a little more fun with this. <laughs> Lazard suspects the girl who said there was someone else in the room, but Michelle and Marbala were the only two in the room, so Lazard is adamant that there wasn't anyone else in the room, but again, because she's decided there was nobody in the room, she doesn't even ask Michelle about the man that Michelle claims to have seen. It's like when they pick up Eve, and they're like, this girl doesn't talk. Have you asked her a question? (laughs) No, but she doesn't talk. It's so wild. Okay, be Scully here. I'm Detective Lazard. And now for Cast Files Theater. I'm telling you, there was no one else. Listen, the department is treating this as a suicide, but I gotta tell you, I knew this guy. There was no way he did himself. Was he depressed or under psychiatric care of any kind? No. The only time he ever looked at himself was in the mirror. And he always liked what he saw. That was Cast Files Theater. I want to smack whoever wrote those lines. Yes, this is played as a joke, but it's actually an issue permeating a lot of people in the U.S. (laughs) And probably the world, but we live here. Mulder and Scully go to the Bishop's house, which is Michelle's last name. I don't think I said her last name. Mulder, Michelle, and a computer guy play with the Draw a Criminal program on their machine. They put silly mustaches on a guy until the computer glitches and becomes the man she used to be. (laughs) Oh, the man she used to be. Meanwhile, Michelle's mom explains to Scully that Michelle is not like other girls. (laughs) Hashtag not like the other girls. That's right. There's a bit about a swimming pool being covered, and it's because water traumatizes Michelle and also calls her parents to divorce. Yeah, that dad needs the swimming pool. And I get it. That one incident of Michelle being terrified of being in the water caused them to get the divorce. It's how the mom explained this whole scene. <laughs> she also tells Scully that sometimes, you know, Michelle frightens her. And Scully does one of those, what do you mean frightened? Don't you ever get frightened, Scully? <laughs> I <laughs> like, like what she did with uh, Lyle, what's his face? Right, what are we, in shapes again? <laughs> Scully, have you never heard of... I don't know what the creeps are. I don't know what frightening is. Oh, she's the one lady from the Magnus archives. Oh. 
Georgie. She's Georgie from Magnus Arcus. She is Georgie because it's all fear-based stuff. She has no idea what that is anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I miss Georgie. I'm going to re-listen to that whole season. I mean, the whole five seasons. Here we come, spooky season. It's perfect. (laughs) When the agents are leaving, they're about to head to see Michelle's shrink. I believe that's what they said. I put that in quotes, which is... (sighs) They split up. Mulder goes to see. Oh, that's right. The shrink. Yeah. One thing that I want to, and we'll put this in the show notes, is the X-Files does a terrible job with any sort of disability, including mental health. And there's a really good piece by Pamela Stafford on Twitter, at PJS Posts, about all of this. I will retweet it. The reason I didn't put it in here is because it also talks about Roland and the last couple of episodes, but I don't want to have any spoilers in here. But she does a really good job explaining all of this, and this whole episode is a mess. I imagine. So, as they're going to see, Mulder's going to see Michelle's shrink. Michelle tosses origami out the window, and everyone acts like children haven't been folding paper to some degree or other, ever. Uh, This is just a better, she's just doing it better than most of us when we were eight. Look, if somebody can do something better than me, that means they're supernatural. (laughs) Wow. I am naturally... The best person. At everything? Just at everything. If anybody does anything better than me, supernatural. So all of the Olympic people are supernatural? Yeah. Or cheating. Oh, well. Just cheating. Wow. Yeah. Those are their two lanes? Yep. Supernatural or cheating? Yep. You you pick which one's which. Okay. I will. You know what? I'm going (laughs) to pick it all willy-nilly and say magic person and cheating person. All right. You know how I feel about magic in this universe. Yeah, I am having a hard time staying in-universe in this episode. So is everyone else. Typically, I try to be, okay, I'm going with Mulder because the stuff does exist in this universe. Mm -hmm. I had a really hard time keeping that in mind for this episode. And you know what? This episode might have been fine if if it felt more in-universe, but it felt like a departure, which I think is why Shadows didn't work. Because ghosts are just... It doesn't fit. Yeah, it's weird that that's a step too far. I guess. I guess. I don't know. It doesn't fit, though. Cryptids, aliens, yes. Ghosts and magic? No. Yeah, it seems a weird line to draw, but apparently we have. We have drawn that line. Yeah, I didn't mean to. I did. Okay. I draw back over it every day. (laughs) Every day? It's the first thing I do in the morning. Weird. What? What do you do first thing in the morning? Take a shower. Oh, well, I draw my line. Hmm. Redraw my line every day. Okay. Thick line. Aliens and... Thick line. Yeah. Aliens and cryptids over here. Big old line. Ghosts and magic over there. Okay. Oh, speaking of ghosts and magic, the Cemetery Boys. Read it. (laughs) I bought it. I'm gonna read it. It's so good. So that can have ghosts and magic because that's what their world is. Yeah. Totally good. So, yeah, I want to mention that because I'm not anti-ghosts and magic in other worlds, just in the X-Files world. Right, because even aliens are like technology. Yeah, biology, science, yeah. technology. Yeah, cryptids are biology, aliens are technology, ghosts are just... Cheat. Oogly boogly. Yeah. Huh. Yep, read the cemetery, boys. So good. As they're splitting up, Mulder says, psychokinesis is usually associated with an electrical charge. He does this every once in a while where he just speaks so... He speaks with such authority and confidence on utter nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) And for whatever reason, in this one, it bugged me. Well, David, 
How else could a 60-pound kid throw a 200-pound detective out the window? I believe you said power of feminism. <laughs> yes. Okay. Hashtag feminism. There's your answer. <laughs> She's just cleaning up these streets, baby. <laughs> out in these streets. <laughs> so now that we've left the bishop's house, we go to Bryland Psychiatric Hospital in Buffalo, New York with Mulder. There's lots of bad science in this scene. It didn't age well. But the short of this is the doctor doesn't know how to diagnose Michelle. However, she has ruled out schizophrenia, trauma, and abuse, apparently. Which is... Ruling out things is good. It is good. It doesn't feel like she's actually ruled it out in the way that she explains it. She's just decided no. (laughs) But, okay. She also shows us some dolls that were mutilated. But we later find out that this doesn't actually make sense, and Michelle should have been drowning them all along. Because What's-His-Face didn't die from the... Charlie Morris. Charlie Morris. I'm glad you said What's-His-Face. Sorry to interrupt you again, but I haven't said Charlie Morris, and I don't say him his name until the <laughs> very end. And I realized it as I was going through my notes, and I'm like, I need to say Charlie Morris. Okay, okay. yeah. Charlie Morris doesn't die from the arm cut off and eye gouging. He dies from the drowning, so the doll mutilation makes absolutely no maybe well okay i have a second take maybe charlie is doing it as a way to say hey look into this type of murder because that's how they decided he was murdered oh you know what all right that does make a lot of sense actually because i suppose charlie morris isn't just some primal rage ball taking out he's calculated yes so he's she's a reincarnated version of him Yeah. And he's fully formed inside of her somehow. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. This is where Mulder asks about deep regression hypnosis. And in defense of Michelle's psychiatrist, she basically looks at him like he's lost it. (laughs) She says, that's unhelpful at best. Yes. (laughs) And she's correct. However, we're going to do a science corner on deep regression hypnosis. It's pretty quick, but I need to because it came up in the first episode and I didn't do a deep dive. And Mulder keeps bringing it up. Yeah. He keeps bringing it up. And he's a psychologist. Yeah. And he is just set on this. So here's a little bit about what Mulder is obsessed with. Implanting memories in people. Yes, basically. Science Corner with Kristen. Past life regression is a method that uses hypnosis to recover what practitioners believe are memories of past lives or incarnations. The practice is widely considered discredited and unscientific by medical practitioners. And experts generally regard claims of recovered memories of past lives as fantasies or delusions or a type of confabulation. Past life regression has been critiqued for being unethical on the premises that it lacks any evidence to support these claims and that the the act increases one's susceptibility to false memories. Louis Cardon states that this can be problematic as it creates delusions under the guise of therapy. The memories are experienced as vivid as those based on events experienced in one's life, impossible to differentiate from true memories of actual events, and accordingly, any damage can be difficult to undo. Yeah, makes sense because you're implanting a memory in somebody. The hypnotic methodology that underpins past life regression places the participant in a vulnerable position, susceptible to implantation of false memories. Because the implantation of false memories may be harmful, Gabriel Andrade, assistant professor, College of Medicine, 
Ajman University, United Arab Emirates, points out that past life regression violates the principle of first, do no harm, part of the Hippocratic Oath. So if you want to do things like dabble in your past lives and think about those types of things, that's fine as long as you don't let it overtake how you're living your life. If you do it more for an entertainment value, that's fine. If you go to a therapist and they suggest doing this, find a different therapist immediately because it could be dangerous. I was Joan of Arc in a past life. Right. All right, back to the 14th precinct house, Buffalo, New York. Scully starts an autopsy. Lazard interrupts her and honestly, what am I supposed to do with this scene? A computer generated image of the most generic guy is similar to a nine years dead guy. And it doesn't mean that Michelle saw a ghost. Yeah. However. Oh, however. I saw a ghost. You saw a ghost? Actually, I didn't see a ghost because I, it didn't look like a ghost. It was definitely evil and I saw it yesterday. Yes, you mentioned it to me and then now you're going to tell me on the pod live. Yes, so I was out running. It was about 5, 5.30 a.m. Oh, yeah. I was running by a construction site. So I look over at the construction site. No one's there, obviously, because it's 5, 5.30. And it was an apartment building that had not, that no one has moved into yet. So it wasn't a, it wasn't construction happening on a building where people live yet. It's all still being built. So I can see the stairwell and I look over and there's some light coming from behind the building, shining on what is definitely a person just standing there. In the, the shadowy outline, looks like they were wearing some sort of cloak, something that I couldn't tell what their body shape was. But as I'm running by, I don't, I keep looking at it, looking at it and I'm like, what else could this be? This is absolutely a person standing here in this shadowy area, but nobody should be there. There's no reason for anybody to have been on those stairs. It would have been dangerous also, and it was dark. So, and I got this weird, creepy feeling on top of it all. Oh. That's important. Yeah. I know you don't believe in any of this I stuff. I mean, who would ever get a creepy feeling at 5.30 in the morning? I don't know. <laughs> I was fine the rest of the time. But I decided, okay, it's got to be something. I can't figure out what this, this shadow is, but it definitely looks like a person just standing there, looking out over the water. Creepiness. So when I come back later and the sun is up and there's people there and there's movement and everything, the phantom is gone, disappeared. Oh, when the sun is up and there's light? Yeah. That thing's not there anymore? No. Oh, wow. I don't know why you're making fun of me. I'm not making fun of you. Yes, you are. I can see your face and hear your tone. I have no tone. I am monotone. You know what, guys? I'm not talking to him anymore. I'm talking to you. I... <laughs> saw a phantom yesterday it was in the words that scully would not understand creepy she's never heard of creepy <laughs> so i might be possessed now or haunted yeah definitely not pareidolia definitely not one of the very many brand new homeless we have around here it wasn't though they don't go over there and stand creepily on the stairs i would would you yeah 5 30 in the morning i'd try to be as scary as possible i really think that they're just trying to survive yeah. and oh my gosh there are so many unhoused people it's it's awful yes there's, there's i don't know what <laughs> yeah. else to say it's it's horrifying and awful and just going to keep getting worse so i guess what i'm trying to tell you guys is michelle did not see a ghost but i did or a demon or whatever you said phantom phantom 
It was a phantom. It wasn't Evil. a ghost. It was definitely opaque. And I feel like ghosts would be, you know, not opaque. Oh, okay. Transparent to some degree or other. This was not transparent at all. Welcome our new phantom into the house. Uh, all right. I look forward to being murdered by you. <laughs> After the autopsy, apparently, there's some gang talk. Because what are we going to do if we can't be super racist with all of our reincarnation talk? We're going to be super racist with our gang talk. Yeah, it's the triad. Let's do it. Also, Mulder thinks Michelle saw a poltergeist, which I did not see. It was not a poltergeist. Because of a lesion on Barbala's body that could have been caused by an intense concentration of electrothermal energy. Like when their headlights were still on. Yeah. That could have been a poltergeist. I think that was a poltergeist. I don't remember. I mean, it was a ghost that was angry and killing people. Yeah. Seems like poltergeisty stuff. Are poltergeists evil or are they just annoying? I think they're evil. Hmm. All right. They kidnap little Carol Ann. That's true. That is true. Yeah. Man, that was a great house. Yeah. At Halloween Horror Nights. That was so good. So they talk about the gang talk, and the reason that they decided it was gang is because there's a signature hit on the Charlie Morris body. Even though the autopsy will show that he was obviously drowned, they've decided that it's it's actually a signature hit with a chainsaw and eye gouging. That's pretty crazy. It's just like what Michelle was doing to those 12 dolls. Which, yes, is concerning and someone needs to help this little girl but it seems like everyone in charge of helping her is doing the least possible well her doctor is not letting her go under hypnosis i'm with her on that oh yeah that's true we go to the fiori residence in kenmore new york i don't know where any of these places are this geography up here i'm just like i don't know do you yeah kenmore new york it's over by buffalo okay fiori used to work with charlie morris you know before the chainsaw and doesn't want to talk to the agents. He also doesn't want to wake his wife, and he doesn't want to talk about an open case. So basically, Fiore just doesn't want to. <laughs> he assumes the murder was payback for a major sweep of Chinatown and says some very questionable things. He doesn't really give them a whole lot, though. Then his wife comes outside with flour and dough on her hands. She wasn't sleeping at all. Scully mentions it, and Mulder misses it. Though it looked like she'd been having a baking flour fight with someone else in the kitchen. Yeah. Mulder really isn't paying attention. No, but the first person to catch that was me. I'm a good detective. I'm the best detective in the world. Right. Anybody better than me? <laughs> Supernatural. Or cheating. Or cheating. <laughs> Next, we go to the Buffalo Mutual Life main office because you gotta have businessman. Businessman. Fiori meets with a guy named Felder. And they're the only ones left of whatever bad cop they were all involved with. It's okay, though. Felder says they all agreed to wait 10 years, and that's what they're going to do. And I actually thought that, well, that's a good idea. 10 years is a long time, but... That's it, what they agreed to do. It's a, it gets a lot of eyes off you. If I was in my 30s, I'd be like, yeah, 10 years, let's go. I'm 44 now. I'm like, yeah, five years. <laughs> we gotta get, I, I, got, I got less time now. <laughs> that's so five, sad. Five years is enough. Time, the lifespan you've just put on yourself is so short. Well, I'm not saying I'm going to die in 10 years, but I want that extra five years of having a bunch of money. Oh, man. All right. It's also okay because the murder chainsaw eye gouging was just an accident, so Fiori should just take a chill pill already. <laughs> Did you read that any other way? No, the drowning was just an accident. And then they murdered chain, the chainsaw eye gouge to cover it up. 
I love how you accidentally drown an adult human. It's totally by accident. Oops. Look, we were holding his head underwater. For a really long time. And he died. For at least two minutes while he struggled. Whoops. Oopsie. Later, Felder is walking to the bus. An old woman comes out of an alley and says, excuse me, sir. He ignores her because businessman, we have to know that he's bad. I don't know why we need extra about him being bad because we know he's bad. He, ju- we, he just admitted murdering his friend. No, it was an accident. And framing all of the Chinese <laughs> gang members. All of the Asians in the world. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but Felder ignores her and then he dies. <laughs> Murder by mass transit. Ah, scarf. I get why I didn't want to take that scarf off, though. It was a nice scarf. It was a nice scarf. I liked it. So as Felder gets off the bus, he wraps his scarf around his neck. He just wraps it, though. He, like, twirls it in front of his body. And then a ghost or magic or something pulls the end of the scarf into the bus, wrapping it around the handrail. So now he can't get out of it without leaving his scarf behind. So rather than leave his scarf behind, he... Dies. Dies. Yeah, perfectly reasonable. I'm on his side. I agree. It's a good scarf. She also was controlling the gas and brakes on this on this bus. And again, I have to just reiterate, I hate magic as the explanation in this universe. Yeah. Camera pan up. Oh, I've already spoiled it. But to reveal, Michelle is on the bus. Bum, bum, bum. Did we mention that she has a temper and rage problems? Because her shrink sure did. She is an angry young girl. She is not like all the other girls. No. If only they knew. Then we go to uh, see Mulder, Scully, and Mrs. Bishop at the precinct house. Mrs. Bishop takes all of this differently. The fact that her daughter has now witnessed two murders. The fact that her daughter was riding a mass transit bus all by herself at age eight when they live in this giant house out in the suburbs. Like at least a half hour away, I think they said. Yeah. Yeah. It feels very much like, not that children don't ride mass transit by themselves to get around in the city. Fine. You but do. she's escaping in the middle of the night. You, you do what you have to do to get by. But this girl doesn't ride mass transit by herself. <laughs> Did you see that house? There's no way. Her mom's never been on mass transit. So, a little classism happening here. But yes, Mrs. Bishop takes all of this differently than I would. Maybe she's in shock. I want to give her a little bit of benefit of the doubt. But she is suspecting her child, and that is wild to me. (laughs) She's like, how could... She's only eight. How could she have possibly done anything? Did you just say you suspect your own child of murdering these two grown men in just the most insane ways? It is a pretty wild coincidence that she's escaping her house, going half an hour away... And people keep dying around her. Man, you never escaped your house in the middle of the night when you were eight? Ah, due to legal reasons, I cannot answer that question. Because as Mulder explained in the last episode, there's no statute of limitations on murder. Did you just admit to murder? I absolutely did not admit to murder when I was eight years old. I am trying to figure out where I even lived when I was eight. In 1985, I was never a murderer. (laughs) And you are getting so worried about me talking about hot wiring your car and you're doing this. Great. Great. They go to Mrs. Fiore's house next and there's bum 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 origami from her first husband. So they keep talking about how origami is the super weirdest thing. And I had to look up when origami became popular because I'm like, origami doesn't seem super 
outrageous. Like, you have to explain it on TV, what it is. Right. Yeah. And, like, no one else has ever done it, ever, as a fun little hobby. So, fun fact, origami started in the 17th century in Japan. Great. By the mid-1900s, it had become a popular art form worldwide. Yeah, it makes sense. I feel like they taught us how to do a swan in elementary school. Right, me too. I feel like we did that. And then we did the little paper fortunes, and then the boys were always doing those footballs. Girls probably did the footballs too, but I'm only remembering the boys doing the footballs and the goalposts. And we've done variations of origami and paper folding forever. Riley was doing it. Riley was making little wolverine claws when he was in middle school, or elementary school. It's like, kids always fold paper. What else are you going to do in school? Learn something? Not me. <laughs> Two things I would never do in elementary school. Learn something and murder anybody. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Well, before we leave this scene, let's talk about how Mrs. Fiore is married to her second husband and has been married to him for several years. Somewhere between one and eight. <laughs> Reasonable. And has her late husband's origami still sat where it would have been seated because she discusses how he was crafting all of the animals in the picture right above it mm -hmm. and the only thing he hadn't gotten was the giraffe yeah. it was the last thing he had so we're about to find out that she's still living in the house she lived in with her late husband with her new husband who we are also about to find out is her late husband's partner yep it's all just too much for me. Now, you say that her keeping the origami is a step too far. I say maintaining a saltwater aquarium for eight <laughs> years is a step too far. The new husband would immediately be like, this is too much work. I'm not doing this. Here's the thing, though. Okay, so her keeping the origami and the frame is fine. But it's set up like a shrine situation in the house that she's living in with her husband her current husband who was also his friend and it just feels like a weird centerpiece to have in your house oh i agree just can you imagine if you had like an ode to your ex-girlfriend in the corner and you were like i'm just gonna oh, set it up in this yeah. <laughs> in this corner where we look at every day Oof. can you imagine maintaining a saltwater aquarium no a regular aquarium is too much work i hate that well, then why do we have all of these aquariums filled with teeth from last week? <laughs> teeth, 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 teeth. It's just crazy. Oh, let's go one further step into how awful this whole situation is. I'm not even going to say, I'll say what he says to her later when she finally finds out what's been going on. But he's living in the house where they murdered his partner. Yeah. And just cleaning out that saltwater aquarium. I guess she could be doing it, but I just, I feel like eventually that's, she's not. I don't, she doesn't strike me as a saltwater aquarium keeper. No. Wow. I don't know what a saltwater aquarium keeper looks like. Not me. And apparently not her. Not me either. I feel like they look like Tiger King. <laughs> I feel like it has to be her husband because he's doing it as redemption for himself. He's like... <laughs> All right, I know he loved this saltwater aquarium. Yeah. And he died doing what he loved. <laughs> <laughs> what more can someone ask for? So I must 
maintain it next to this other shrine of him. Which, you know what? Our whole living room is a shrine to your ex or your late husband and my ex-partner. Great. Good. Okay, I'm glad we cleared that up. As the agents leave Mrs. Fiore's house, they discuss reincarnation. It's all bad. There's a lot of cultural appropriation in these episodes. And not participate... The, what, I'm not, what I'm talking about is not the origami. Origami seems like a great art form, something that's very soothing and beautiful. By all means, participate. It's because they're talking about how there's different cultures believe in reincarnation and how that impacts things. And then knowing that they've set this up to frame the Chinatown gangs because they've set that up and they've decided that this is reincarnation because of the setup, not because of who this guy is. This guy didn't believe in reincarnation. Yeah. It's all really just ham-fisted, which yeah. is a weird term. Fists like ham hocks. Yep. <sighs> so if you do origami, great. And actually, tweet me. I would love to see your origami. Um, if you're going to culturally appropriate things so you can make a terrible episode of TV, I don't need to see it. <laughs> We get a repeat of Dr. Spitz from episode one doing hypno-regression on Michelle. Surprise! It doesn't go well. Uh, it's a different hip- hypno-doctor. It's not the same one? Nah, Dr. Heitzverber. I, uh, I feel like that's right. It's some German thing. So it isn't Dr. Spitz. So it's a different doctor. Ah, okay. Well, he's doing the same thing. He's doing the thing that Mulder has been pushing for. Basically torturing this child. Uh, Mulder argues with Dr. Braun while Michelle is being hypno-regressed. And his stance is, this isn't nearly as bad as pumping her full of Thorazine. And did they say that she was doing that? No. I didn't, okay, because I didn't catch it. No. So Mulder's just throwing that out there. Yes. To throw it, ugh. Yes. Gross. Because I think he's a psychologist and she's a psychiatrist. And psychiatrists are able to prescribe medication. And maybe Michelle is on something because there are underlying issues that apparently nobody can figure out what they are. But maybe she needs medication to make herself more level or a mood stabilizer or whatever. There's a variety of things that could be possible. We don't see any indication that Michelle has been over medicated. Yeah. So if she is being medicated at all, it seems like it's from what from the little tiny bits that we get of her, it seems to be fine. Like the most inappropriate she acts is when she's hypnotized. Mm-hmm. And she's obviously scared and wants it to stop. And that was her act air quotes acting out, an eight year old acting out yeah. when she's scared. By the way, if I'm ever murdered, I'm also screaming that same thing. They're killing me! They're killing me! That's going to be your um, your indication. Yes, that's how you will know I'm being murdered. Or you have been murdered. No, because I'm not going to be able to scream it after I'm murdered. You're not going to come back and tell me? You don't remember our passphrase, so you're not going to know it's me. I know. But why would I go to you? Who are you going to go to? Somebody. Okay. Nothing for that. (laughs) I do have a fun fact for Thorazine, though, because I was curious if it was still being utilized. It is no longer being utilized now. It was voluntarily discontinued worldwide in 2005 by its manufacturer, Norvartis, because it caused severe cardiac arrhythmias. Oh, that's bad. So there are other medications that have come out, obviously, since then and, and during the time that they've replaced it with for the things that it was actually helping people with. But I was curious about what's so bad about Thorazine. If you're using it for, you know, if you're using it in a in the way that a psychiatrist would be doing it, someone who is a professional. I didn't see. Besides that, which is obviously bad, but like the reasons that they were using it initially, 
seemed fine. This is where things really drag. Mm-hmm. Scully doesn't want to traumatize Michelle again and knows her mother will not go for hypnosis again. Mulder is incredibly arrogant about this. Scully reminds him that even if they were to do hypnosis again and he could get all the answers he wanted from Michelle, it wouldn't be enough to close the case because it wouldn't stand up in a court of law. But Mulder is not concerned about that. Mulder only wants answers for himself. He has no care for what this is doing to Michelle, what this is doing to Michelle's mother. He doesn't want to solve this case. All he wants is answers for himself. He, he wants to prove himself right. Yeah, he wants proof of reincarnation. Yep. And Jillian Anderson in this scene nails it. She did such a good job in this scene. I was really, really impressed. I like that she called him out on it. And she's like, look, you might get your answers, but we can't do anything with this. And it's, so no, I'm not going along with you on this. Yeah. <sighs> Mulder goes off to look at Static. It doesn't seem as calming as folding origami, but whatever. I guess we all do things differently. At least he's not screaming in court. Yeah, that's good. There's an exposition scene where Mulder explains there was a documented case in the early 70s of a man from Porlock, Ohio, who could influence undeveloped film. He could create shapes on the negative from his mind. Uh, doubt. There was one documented case. <laughs> We see Mrs. Fiore at home again. Her husband has been missing for a night. We don't know where he was. And then we kind of assume where he was. But she's been calling people all night trying to find out where he's at. He never called her. But it's okay because he's doing all of this for her. He must be collecting the money now that he's the last of the four. He won the tontine. Yep. Eventually he does come home and Anita, his wife, is trying to figure out why he's been gone and what happened. He says that someone's trying to kill him. Go pack a bag. He's very short with her and he says, will you please just do what I'm asking you? Please. I'm your husband and I love you and I need you to trust me on this, okay? And we're about to see exactly how much she should have been trusting him this whole time. It's the M. Night Shyamalan twist of the episode. <laughs> I actually sort of identify with this guy in this scene. And if I ever come home in a panic with a duffel bag full of $2 million, and I'm like, you guys need to pack a bag, we need to leave right now. I mean, can you just pack a bag and we leave right now? Did you forget that he was involved with stealing money, her late husband lying to her about this, her late husband being murdered by him and his cronies. He's been covering this up for nine years, and his whole idea of how to fix this was to then lie to her forever and move into her house and continue lying to her about not knowing anything that happened to her late husband. Okay, but what's that got to do with me? You said you identify with him and he is a terrible person. I said in this scenario, if I just come home with a duffel bag full of money and say, we gotta go, then we gotta go. And it has I'm nothing to do with me murdering anybody when I was eight years old. Nothing at all. I'm your husband, and I love you. And I love you so much that I not only have been lying to you for the last nine years about literally everything, but I am complicit in your late husband's murder and mutilation. But please, can't you just trust me? I haven't told you the truth since I met you. Well, he probably met her before. They were lying to her before! How long do you think it took to plan this heist where they stole $2 million? Oh, none at all. I think they lucked into it. You do? Yeah, I think they lucked into it when they did the big drug bust. Mm. That's what I picked up from this. Like, they did the big drug bust and there was $2 million hanging around and they were like, uh, well, uh, uh. yeah. 
fine. You are right. They do not seem like they could figure out how to steal $2 million. <laughs> no. The one guy uh, goes into insurance. We cut between the precinct and the Fiore's house for the next little bit. In the precinct, Mulder is figuring out Charlie Morris was drowned first before being mutilated. Why no one else figured that out, I don't know. Why did no one catch this before? A murdered cop didn't get a real investigation after an obvious cover-up? None of us have any chance. Because They're never going to solve any of <laughs> Because they straight up say that it's in the autopsy that he was drowned. Yep. Like, they didn't dig him up and do new nope. research on him. So Just the biggest cover-up by everyone. And also, the digital artist guy who's tweaking the fuzz is mm-hmm. also the composite sketch guy for some reason. Yeah, he has those two programs on his little computer. Oh, okay. It's the Draw a Criminal program. And the Tweak the Fuzz? Yep. Okie doke. It's the Find the Hidden Picture program. Oh, okay. Yep. I didn't know you had a question about that. Could have answered that earlier. I feel so stupid. <laughs> Lazard and Scully go along for the ride because, of course, they do. At the Fiori house, we know Detective Fiori came back for his wife. Don't worry, it's not as sweet as it sounds, as I just explained, that because he's been lying to her forever. Now that the agents have figured out Michelle is the magic reincarnation of Charlie Morris, they also go to the Fiori's house, because we all have to be at the same place for the next thing to happen. What's it gonna take for you to believe that she is a reincarnation? Does she have to sprout a mustache? She's <sighs> gotta do a lot more than you just telling me that this is your idea, because <laughs> so far you've proven l- nothing. While at the Fiori's house, Tony, the husband, explains to us why Charlie Morris's reincarnated entity is killing them all off. That's when we get the backstory about the $2 million and the cover-up and why didn't he just take the money? Ugh, it's so dumb. This is, this is also the first time that Anita is figuring out that her late husband's partner, who is her now husband, has been lying to her this whole time. Mm-hmm. Which, really, she needs to get out of that relationship. She needs to get out of that house. But they're trauma bonded. She needs to go elsewhere. You learned a thing! (laughs) Yay! You learned what trauma bonded was. Great. Great, great, great. We see some more magic, and Anita discovers her second husband has been lying to her the whole time, just like her first husband, because they were obviously crooked cops. I said again, this woman needs a divorce, some therapy, and to move out of that town. The fish tank explodes. The fish tank, the saltwater fish tank that has been consistently taken care of for all of these years. Then we hear voiceover Detective Fury admits guilt. Michelle Bishop is let off the hook and has selective amnesia, which is another favorite of the 90s. She does seem to have a friend now and is taking swimming lessons, so she seems to be fine. Isn't it great when your mental illness is actually uh, supernatural and the FBI fixes you? Yes. It's great. Here's how Mulder closes this out because I couldn't be bothered to rewrite it. Do you want to read it or should I? I have notes about all that scene that I need to get to. Fine. Let me know when I can close this out. (laughs) Before Mulder and Scully go into the house, instead of holstering his weapon to smash the window, he just points his gun at Scully and she takes it from him by the barrel and then points it at herself. Oh, that's good. That was nice. Good gun safety there. Fiori, immediately when he sees the little girl, knows that it's Morris for some reason. Yeah, he does. He just immediately. It's the first time he's ever seen that girl. It's the blue light, I think. Okay. Blue light special. Yep. I did one of those once when I worked at Kmart. Oh, did you? Yeah. I wrote, those poor fishies? Ah, 
I looked at the floor. So the fish were in the tank for several of the shots, right. but for the exploding shot, they didn't. Yeah, they didn't kill all. any fish, but in the you know cannon, there were fishies. That's magic. Okay. And Scully, in the aftermath, the first thing she does is go and grab the revolver from the little girl. So good gun safety. Oh, that's there. right. I have to point out the good gun safety when it happens because it doesn't happen very often. No, is this the first time? <laughs> I don't think it's the first time, but it's not often. It isn't, no. None of them are as bad as in space where Mulder just points his gun right at everybody's face. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, he really did. He did that. All right, what else you got? Okay, that's that, That's my notes for that scene. All right, we're going to we're gonna let Mulder take us out. This is a VO, okay? Okay. Closing entry. File number X40271. Detective Anthony Fiore pleaded guilty yesterday in federal court to charges of first-degree murder after the fact. Brand larceny and obstruction of justice. The deaths of Detective Rudy Barbala and the former police officer Leon Felder are also being ruled as accidental. Although their complicity in the murder of Officer Charlie Morris has been definitively established. No charges were brought against Michelle Bishop, who today took her first swimming lesson. She claims no memory of the preceding events, and both her mother and Dr. Braun have denied my request for a second past life regression. End of Field Journal, April 19, 1994. Agents of Record, Fox Mulder and Dana Scully. Status unexplained. Unexplained. What a tragedy. Yeah. Who are you shipping? I'm shipping Mrs. Fiore and a really good therapist to work through all of this. <laughs> okay. All right. Makes sense. How about you? I'm shipping Detective Lazard. Okay. And Mrs. Bishop. Hmm. Because Lazar Mrs. Bishop needs to marry another cop? Yes. It's worked no, out. Bishop didn't marry a cop. Oh, you're right. I was thinking Fiore. Yeah. Okay, why? Because they're the only two people who ever really showed any concern for Michelle. Michelle could really use multiple caretakers. Also, we went through the scenes way too fast, so I have to mention Lazard's first vest, the white one, it was okay. The second vest she wore, the red one, nice. Good vest. It was a good outfit, well put together. And the last vest she wore, white and green striped one, was garbage. Oh. That's vest watch. How are you surviving? As, okay, apparently I'm Fiori in this uh, scenario. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't, don't know why I put myself there, but I did. I think I want that $2 million. Oh. As soon as I realize that that kid is the problem, I kill that kid. Oh. <laughs> I drown the kid. Oh my gosh. Wow. She will magic you, though. <laughs> Good luck being magicked when I'm drowning you. I am not one of these four crooked cops. Okay. So. You're just not a target. <laughs> so. I think I'm okay. Okay. Look, it's not the bugs. I had a scenario for that. There's, she's obviously targeting specific people, so I'm just not yeah, that's of why interest. Yeah, that's why I had to put myself in that scenario. If I were Fiori, I would not have married my ex-partner's wife. I would have because trauma bonding is forever. No, see, here's, here's my thought on this, and I thought about this a lot for no good reason. They should have found comfort in each other, fine, because they obviously did. That's when you just have sex, and then you realize, oh, there's, we're, we're doing this for the wrong reasons. But, you know, you just kind of do it for a little while until you both, or one or the other of you, decide, this isn't healthy, we need to move on, and then you move on. 
Ah, dive into the unhealthy. Let's really commit to it. Maybe her third marriage will be better. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> like tunes. All right, episode 22. We have now lasted as long as Three's a Crowd. Three is a crowd. A spinoff of Three's Company, where Jack Tripper gets married and has to live with his father-in-law. That's that, all I know about that, so don't ask me any questions. That seems absurd, because there's plenty of people who live with multi-generations. Well, his father-in-law is probably a jerk. Yeah, but he probably also lives there with them, or they live in his house or whatever. There's probably a real reason. Yeah. I think it's dumb. I don't like it. Okay, then don't watch it. I won't. And Gloria, a spinoff of All in the Family. I don't know. I know the name of All in the Family. What is... Archie Bunker? <laughs> Archie and Edith? Is Archie Bunker a real person or a character? Character. Carol O'Connor played Archie Bunker. Carol? Jean Carol O'Connor. Yes. Played Archie Bunker. Is a man's name? Yes. Okay. Uh, Jean Stapleton played Edith. Oh, Archie! I love it. Carol and Jean. And then it's the opposite of what you would immediately think of. Hmm. I love it. We did it, guys. Congratulations to everybody. <laughs> the Cast Files is produced by Kristen Riley and Dave Reed. Edited by Dave Reed. You can find us on Twitter at Cast Files. You can find me on Twitter at Dave Reed. That's D-A-I-V-E-R-E-E-D. You can email us at thecastfiles, that's the with two e's, at gmail.com. If you could please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, give us five stars, and tell us that we are doing phenomenal things, artistic, wonderful things. We are raising the bar on podcasting. We would love you forever for that. We have a tea Public store. You can go buy t-shirts and stuff there. Music by Hal Six. Logo by Atuka Art. That's O O K A R T. 